Happy Halloween, guys. This is a Halloween special. And unfortunately, we have to look back and think about all of the Marlins trades that didn't work out. What were the scary moments in Marlins history, in recent history anyway, since I've been a Marlins fan? We're looking back, unfortunately, looking through some of these trades that did not work out. And how do they rank? Interesting one, but a fun one. And today's Locked on Marlins. You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings from England and welcome to Locked On Marlins. This is your daily Marlins podcast. I am your host, Peter Pratt. Hit me up on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Miami Marlins underscore UK. It's the Tuesday episode, the 31st of October. Happy Halloween, guys. Who's been out trick-or-treating? I know I have. It's late. It's late at night. I've already been out. I'm back. Kids are in bed now. Thank God. I don't think anyone else is going to be knocking on the door. So it's time for the pod, baby. This is your team every day, of course. Thanks for making Locked On Marlins your first listen of the day. There is a YouTube channel as well, guys. Make sure you hit subscribe right on over then in the YouTube channel. Also, make sure you join in the conversation in the comments section. Drop a comment. Let me know what you're thinking. This one, I think, could garner plenty of comments, plenty of thoughts. I put it out there on Twitter to get the general pulse. What are people feeling? What are people thinking? And the topic of discussion today considering it's Halloween, uh, what are the what are the worst Marlins trades in recent years? Please note, I only became a Marlins fan or a baseball fan as well from 2016 onwards. So my window, I don't have the ability to go all the way back. It's probably not right to go all the way back. However, it's fair to say that probably Miggy Cabrera will be the one that stands out. Uh, I'm, I wasn't around at the time following the team to know how it was perceived at the time. So I'm not going to try to do that. I'm going to focus primarily on the trades that have happened since 2016, which effectively covers the rebuild years. There's a few that stand out, obviously, that have not been good. There's plenty others that you could turn to that have been pretty good, particularly in recent years, I would say. But I think, unfortunately, from a Marlins perspective, the rebuild, when they effectively had, they were just, you know, two starting pitchers away or just a pitcher away when they were in that phase um, pre the, the sale of the team. Um, they, they built themselves a real nice, a real nice core, offensive core, obviously, in particular. Um, but unfortunately, with Jose Fernandez's passing, their inability in in free agent market, some of the trades, et cetera, et cetera. They just didn't have the pitching to to do anything uh, really that that maybe this the offense deserved. Thus, it had to flip the whole of the offense. Um, and that's where a lot of the rebuilds went wonky. That's it, it set them back. In reality, this rebuild ended up, you know, setting the club back longer than maybe it should have done if they'd maybe right, made the right moves. It isn't all about those guys, though. There's a few others. There's a few other trades in more recent memory that I think we have to look at. Equally, some of those rebuild ones, were they actually that bad? Or were they okay? 
Loads to talk about, guys. Loads of places to start. I think where we have to start, really, just briefly, is on the Yelich trade because it's the one that most people point to to say it's the worst trade the Marlins made. And when I look at that trade, just to remind everyone who was involved in that, Christian Yelich went to the Brewers, coming back the other way. Lewis Brinson, Monte Harrison, Isan Diaz, and Jordan Yamamoto. Four-player package back to the fish. Christian Yelich uh, absolutely ascending uh, at that point. Uh, was pre-arb, I believe, at that point as well. So multiple, multiple years of control. Please note, Christian Yelich at that moment was absolutely not an MVP-level caliber player. He became that in Milwaukee. He was not that at that moment in time for the Marlins. But the Marlins moved him. I'm not 100% certain on the backstory around that one. I I feel like maybe Yelich just wasn't bought in, maybe, to being part of a rebuild. I don't know. But the Marlins went and made this move. It seemed to happen quickly. And in reality, when you now able to reflect back fully on that trade, because all of those guys are gone from the Marlins now, it has to be seen as as the biggest bust out there because Yelich kicked on and became even better. That's not really the Marlins' fault and wasn't really in the Marlins' control, but maybe did they undervalue their guy? That's the question. Lewis Prince and Monte Harris and Isan Diaz, did they overvalue those guys in their assessment of them? I think from Lewis Brinson in particular, it was it was a tough situation for Lewis Brinson because he was the headline name. He was pushed into action more quickly than maybe he would have wanted to be. He was then basically a pinup boy for the Marlins rebuild. There's a lot of pressure on Brinson. And so I I, you know, and with Brince, there was definitely a replacement level major league outfielder there. No doubt. The glove was fine. The stick, particularly on the kind of short side of the platoon, was fine. It just, you know, it was underwhelming for Brinson. Monte Harrison ended up being an absolute bust, which was a real shame because the personality was amazing and the glove was was amazing, but the stick wasn't. Isan Diaz, very interesting career where at major league, uh, sorry, at minor league level, AAA in particular, like he was just going bananas. I know at that point the balls were juiced, I believe, in in that year. And then obviously we had that great moment with Isan Diaz with his first home run um, and his dad pretty much on the commentary, on the call for that one, which is great to see. But yeah, again, Isan Diaz, I felt like there was going to be a real solid major league baseball player there. And the COVID year kicked in. He'd had injuries prior to that. The COVID year kicked in. It went wonky for him there. And he just never seemed to be able to kind of find his his groove after that point. And basically is kind of like bounced around AAA. But overall, you have to look back and think that probably was the biggest bust, is the biggest bust from a uh, most recent trade perspective. Uh, Christian Yelich, for those, for those four dudes, as highly touted those prospects may have been, effectively, all of them ended up underwhelming in terms of p- their pr- projected potential. Lewis Brinson probably mismanaged. Monte probably misevaluated. Uh, and Isan Diaz, not 100%, 100% clear that he never had quite the billing of the other guys Jordan Yamamoto, in some ways, ended up delivering some of the most consistent uh, performances of any of those guys. Before, in the end, he ended up being cannon fodder. I believe one game against uh, the Dime, um, the Blue Jays, if I recall correctly, when he was left out to die fundamentally in that game, I think in the 2020 year. And that was pretty much the end of uh, Jordan Yamamoto's 
Marlins career and pretty much the end of his baseball career. Yamamoto retiring at maybe the age of 25, 26, whatever it might be. So now we got Yelich out the way. Where else should we go? Well, I want to talk about Giancarlo Stanton because when I became a fan of this team, Giancarlo Stanton was the man. He hit a home run in the only, the only game, my first ever Marlins game, the only game I've ever seen live. Giancarlo hit the home run. I was just like, this guy is, this is the guy. And this is the team for me. Stanton, let's not forget, he was traded off the back of his MVP campaign. He had 59 home runs that year in a Marlins team that was not good. Um, but Giancarlo Stanton was the story. He won MVP. What did the Marlins get back for him? They got back Stalin Castro. They also got back a couple of prospects in uh, George Guzman and Jose Devers. So on this trade particularly, I think a lot of people have the view that they understood why it was a money dump, et cetera, et cetera. It's fine. I think we've all acknowledged and agreed that situation. But fundamentally, Stalin Castro was nothing. It was nothing. It was basically take Giancarlo and you got to take the money and the Marlins have to kick in some cash considerations along the way. This one has always bothered me. It's bothered me hugely for many reasons in that Giancarlo Stanton was pretty much the face of the Marlins franchise. He's an absolute stud. MVP, literally not MVP caliber, literally MVP coming off the season and the career of his life thus far. And the Marlins end up moving that dude for nothing. They gave away the MVP for nothing. And, you know, I know the money comes into it. But when you sit back and reflect on that situation, the Marlins at that time were fleeced, in my opinion. It was a huge bust of a deal. It's just shocking. To trade the MVP, just imagine, and I know that it's not quite the same, but let's just say the Braves traded Ronald Acuna right now for nothing because they didn't want to pay the rest of his deal for however long. And I know it's not quite the same, guys. I'm, you know, it's, it's a, probably not a great comparison with Ronald Acuna Jr. and Giancarlo Stanton. But I've thought, I, to be honest with you, thought that that return at the time, was worse than the Yelich return. I was, I was super unhappy with that deal. I still am now, to be honest. Stanton has, you know, he's, he's dealt with injuries. And for a guy that is so muscular, seems to look after himself so well, you know, finds ways to get hurt and struggles to keep on the field. And his production level has dropped from that MVP caliber season. He still owed plenty of dough. The funny thing is in baseball though, right? That contract, when you start to layer in the growth of the game, the inflationary numbers, et cetera, like the market starts to catch up with a Giancarlo Stanton deal that looks sizable at the time. But the contracts start to catch up and all of a sudden, like Stanton's deal doesn't look too bad. Like it's less than 30 mil a year. And you think, Okay, that's kind of the going rate for these guys that are, you know, hitting 35, 40, 50 home runs a year. You know, okay, he's got some health issues at this point, but I don't know. For me, this this trade has always irked me. 
And it irked me because, you know, part of it's down to the realization that the Marlins are doing this to not have to pay the money in the future because it's not a sustainable contract for that for that market, et cetera, et cetera. Whether that's true or not, we will never know. Gut feel is that is true. And it'll be a big number. Paying Giancarlo 30, 35 million when your total, your total payroll is circa 100. It's a big commitment. Um, and I think, you know, that was the motivation, clearly. But even so, I look back and I think, man, the Marlins, they left some on the table there. They left some value on the table. Basically getting nothing back in terms of player return, in my opinion, anyway. And it looked like that way immediately. And it looked it's played out that way since. They got nothing back for the MVP. It's in some ways a disgraceful trade. You can look at it through the lens of finance. That's fine. And I understand that. But from a pure baseball perspective, this is right up there for me in terms of absolute bust trades. One of the worst trades. I think there has been in the history of baseball. How about that? That stand and trade is one of the worst trades in the history of baseball. You trade the MVP for scraps. And really, that's a bad indicator of baseball generally. Baseball's broken if that's what's happening. But it is happening, and it was happening because of the financial constraints the Marlins were facing into. This episode, guys, is brought to you by our good friends over at FanDuel. Um, And guys... Score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. It has a wide range of betting options, including all of the favorites, and they are spreads. Player props are over-unders and more. They've got it all. So visit fanduel.com slash locked on. Kick off the NFL season. Fanduel, official partner of the NFL. All right, guys, you are back here with me on Halloween, Tuesday, the 31st of October, and we are looking at some of the scariest Marlins trades in recent years from 2016 onwards. Many see Christian Yelich's deal and trade as the worst. I actually think that in some ways, Giancarlo Stanton's was the worst. He was an MVP and was traded for scraps on purpose because they didn't want to pay him. As a Marlins fan, trust me, that was very disappointing at the time. Yelich was not at that level. A few of those guys were you know, highly projectable at that time. Could Stanton's have been worse than Yelich? In hindsight, and because of the money, no. But I think there's a case to be made. I think. We look, we don't look at the detail with Stanton's trade too closely. We don't look at the player return. We know the money's moved, and so we're happy with that. Maybe that's okay. But for me, as a fan of the team and the players on on the you know out there on on the field playing, that was a huge L, in my opinion. Let's talk about one of the most polarizing ones that I think and is still yet to be finalized and is still yet to fully play out. But Jazz Chisholm Jr. for Zach Gallen. Spoke about it earlier this week, talking about how this trade is still not yet done. Obviously, Zach Gallen right now in the World Series with the Diamondbacks. Thus, and actually just kind of looking at war year to date, career to date, 
Um, Zach Gallen, right now, he's a 17-war dude um, for B-war for those guys that are interested in that. Jazz Chisholm Jr., let me just call this out. Six-war career with the Marlins. He has a career 103 OPS+. plus. I have to be honest, I thought it would be closer between those two guys, but it isn't. Gallon, 17 war. Jazz Chisholm Jr., six war. Fundamentally, Jazz, slightly above average hitter in his career thus far. He's been injured a bunch. I mean, as you look at things right now, this looks to be a Marlins L. I did say, though, there's still room in this one. And looking ahead to 24, there's a chance that Jazz Chisholm Jr. has a career year. Who knows what happens with pitching, but we've seen it with a lot of pitchers this year. We've seen it with Sandy. Anything can happen with any pitcher at any moment, and they miss a year. So this, you know, I guess comparison, war comparison, if that's how we want to look at it, it could get real close real quick, or it couldn't. I don't know. There's still water to go under the bridge here. There was effectively a prospect swap. Both of them have been above average guys. So for me, it remains win-win. It remains win-win. They're already saying, I think Jazz Chisholm Jr. will have a career year in 24. I don't know what Zach Gallon will have, but I think the gap will be narrowed at the back end of 24. There's still a couple more years of arbitration for Jazz in that time. And who knows, an extension to come as well. Potentially. Still plenty of water. It's a polarizing one right now. Zach Gallon leading the way. But this is absolutely not a fat L for the Marlins. It never will be. Because Jazz Chisholm Jr. equally was what the Marlins needed at that moment in time. The trade was done for the right reasons. Swap from strand to plug some holes. That's what they did. And they actually evaluated talent pretty well, in my opinion. I now want to talk about one that has dumbfounded me for years since it happened. And that one is Adam Duvall for Alex Jackson on a pure... Okay, hold on a minute before I dig into this. Adam Duvall for Alex Jackson. I don't think I will ever know the truth of this situation. It None of this made any sense to me at the time. I was following the team very closely. It was, I think, it predates me hosting Locked on Marlins, so we haven't got, like, the daily coverage, but I was still podcasting with, uh, with my own show back then. <laughs> but this deal at the time, it didn't make any sense. I don't think I've ever had any clarity on this. I don't know the situation, but let me just remind you of where we're at with Adam Duvall. When Adam Duvall was traded, he was one of the best hitters in the league at that point. I think he was leading Major League Baseball in RBIs. If he wasn't, he was top five. By the time he was traded, he'd hit 22 home runs. He had 68 RBIs. He ended the year with 38 home runs, 113 RBIs, and a gold glove in the outfield. For however much you value those. There was this opt-out situation with Adam Duvall, which everyone knew about. But also, even though he opted out and could opt out and was going to opt out, which he did, he still had one year of club control via arbitration remaining. The Marlins traded Adam Duvall when they were struggling with offense, just kind of generally. They were struggling with outfield defense, just generally. He looked like a great pickup. A good clubhouse guy, tons of qualities, 
They traded him for Alex Jackson, a catcher from the Braves who looked like he couldn't hit. And he didn't hit. Alex Jackson for the Marlins. Wait till you hear this. 42 games, 108 at-bats, three home runs, 12 RBIs. Oh, boy. And he hit 157 with an OPS plus of 46. Alex Jackson was terrible. Absolutely terrible. This, on a one-for-one swap in terms of production, has to be one of the worst trades ever. It has to be. And it's even worse because Duvall had the control year after that. And he was worth it. He he ended the year with 38 home runs and 113 RBIs. Whatever the, the arbitration number became for Duvall. I'll actually look that up in a second. I forgot to check what that number ended up being. But he he absolutely was worth the money. And the Marlins moved him on. The question I've always had was, did the Marlins not realize that he had that year of control? They couldn't have done, right? They absolutely couldn't have done. Um, let's have a look. Arbitration. He ended up with a 9.275 million uh, final arbitration year, Adam Duvall, coming off that season. Was he a 10 million player? Absolutely he was. The Marlins went and paid 12 million for Abby Garcia. He's never had a, a season like um, Adam Duvall. Doesn't play that level of defense. This was a deal that never made sense. They never got any value back. And they missed future value by moving Adam Duvall when he still had that control at relatively a decent level of expense. I don't know what went on with that one. I don't think I'll ever know the truth on that one because I haven't heard the truth yet. I think the only thing I could ever think of that we spoke about on Fish Across the Pond with the guys, Sean Barrett included, was that the Marlins missed it. They didn't realize. I find that hard to believe. But maybe that's what happened. All right, guys, we have to talk about the final trade. I mean, there's so many. Actually, when I actually really dig into this, they, there's so many we could have got into. What I haven't done is gone into the Marcelo Zuna trade. And really, for that one, it's one of the best trades of all time. Because not only does Sandy come from it, but so does Zach Gallon. Boy, oh boy. Cardinals got absolutely fleeced in that one. But this is a Halloween special. So we're going to finish on JT Riamuto. And Riamuto, just to remind you, he was traded for Sixto Sanchez, of course. But do you remember who else came back in that deal? I'm sure you will. Most people will. Uh, you also had uh, you had Georgi Alfaro in that deal. You also had Will Stewart. There was a three-player package. I know Sixto's the headline, and maybe we kind of just think it was only Sixto, one for one for GT Riamuto. But no, Georgi Alfaro in plus Will Stewart. So GT Riamuto at the time he was the best catcher in baseball, and but he only had two years of club control remaining. Naturally, he was getting more expensive. So I can understand why the Marlins were absolutely entertaining this. They were still in the midst of their rebuild and it wasn't showing signs of the window opening anytime soon because, well, they botched some of the other stuff they'd done prior to that. So Riamuto, with two years of control, it was a great time to trade him. They, they acquired Georgie Alfaro in that, which was basically, a, in, in some sense, a direct replacement opportunity. Different types of tools. But Alfaro was absolutely, he, he's always had the tools. It, they needed a bit of polish, a bit of refinement. But in the year coming, in, in, in before he was traded, 
Georgie Alfaro, I think, put up two war. So he was looking like a decent, you know, cheaper option at catcher, a guy that can hit for power, be decent behind the plate, you know, not quite Rio Muto, but work with him. You could get him to that level. So I absolutely understood that one. You then, you get Sixto Sanchez. Sixto at that point, he was the number one prospect in their system. He became the number one prospect in the Marlins system. Sixto Sanchez, just to remind you, he's only ever pitched in seven games for the Marlins. Seven games only in that 2020 year. He was absolutely electric. He was ascending to one of the most talked about, one of the, you know, one of the guys that, you know, could have been a potential star, potential ace in Sixto Sanchez. Seven games. He's got a 1.5 war, one and a half war in seven games for Sixto. That's how good he was in 2020. He was absolutely electric. All the eyes were on Sixto. Everyone loved the story. And unfortunately for Sixto, injuries have curtailed and, and may end up ending his baseball career. We may never see Sixto Sanchez ever again on a major league uh, mound, which would be really discouraging. But, 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 this one, I can absolutely see where the Marlins went with this one. This is, in my opinion, this is below, definitely below Yelich, definitely below Stanton in these trades. And in my opinion, below Adam Duvall for Alex Jackson. This is, this is I mean, where does it sit in Jazz versus Gallon? Not sure at this point. We'll wait to see. But I could see what the Marlins were trying to do here. Alfaro, much more, many more years of control and a similar upside to Riamuto. He didn't realize that. No one in the Marlins organization has realized their upside in many years, many years that particularly Alfaro was around when you got the Brinson, the Montes, the Isans, everything that was going on. You know, the club, the reality is development has stunk for years. There's tons of issues there and they're trying to address them. And they, you know, it unfortunately set the club back years. But Alfaro, I can absolutely understand. Sixto, I can understand. And listen, healthy Sixto for the same, you know, what's to say that, had, that Sixto Sanchez was not, didn't get hurt? What's to say that he hadn't put up a 17 war career thus far like Zach Gallen? I think he could have. And I'm telling you, if that had happened, this trade would look fine. I think you look at Sixto and his. His upside, it absolutely looked like what Zach Gallen's upside looks like now. And plus, you layer into Georgie Alfaro in that. Anyway, Georgie Alfaro ended up being a bit of a bust too, right? I mean, you've got to look back and you go, in his Marlins career, three years, just a 0.2 war with the Marlins. His first year was actually a one-war campaign. So he started pretty well. And then he faded. The defense kind of gave up. You know, there was tons of issues going on there. It just didn't work out in the end for Alfaro. But, you know, unfortunately, you know, this ends up being a podcast about how the Marlins traded away their previous offensive core. They didn't have enough pitching. They had to make some moves. They had to go into a rebuild. None of this was affordable, seemingly, for the Marlins. Stanton was too expensive. Riamuto was too expensive. Ozuna was getting too expensive. And Yelich would do too. They had to move these guys. Unfortunately, every single one was a bust. Every single one, a bust. Set the club back years. Years. And, you know, they're, they're still reeling from that right now. We don't know how Jazz and Gallon will play out, but it's not as bad as any of those. 
Adam Duball for Alex Jackson was absolutely a head scratcher at the time. But you have to look back and you have to think, man, the way the Marlins went about their rebuild, they got it badly wrong. We all know that. Sometimes good to reflect on that and look to compare and see. But I actually, like I've already said, the Yelich one ended up being probably the worst because Yelich got better and the Marlins got worse by the guys that they ended up getting for, for, for them. But I'm still stunned that the Marlins weren't able to extract any more value out of any other club than Stalin Castro, George Guzman, and Jose Devers. And that was it for the current MVP in the NL, coming off 59 home runs, multiple years of control, whether you wanted to pay for that control or not. <laughs> but for me, I think that's even worse than anything else they've done in the rebuild. Let me know what you think in the comments, guys. I know why the Marlins did it, but I'd love to hear from you. How do you rank these ones? So just to recap on what we've covered. Yelich, we've covered Stanton. We've covered, uh, who else have we covered? We covered uh, Riamuto. We've covered Jazz for Gallon. And we've also covered Adam Duvall for Alex Jackson. I think I saw someone saying about the Groshans trade as well. I think it might have been Isaac Azut saying he wasn't happy with that one. The Groshans for... Bassman and Zach Pop, I think. I mean, I'm not sure what he's unhappy with in that one. So Isaac, if you're listening, let me know in the comments uh, where you're going with that one. I mentioned I haven't spoken about any of the Miggy Cabrera. I haven't spoken about Luis Castillo. Any of the ones that predate my fandom. I've probably forgotten about a few, but these were the headlines. Thanks for making Locked On Marlins your first listen, guys. Happy Halloween to everyone. I hope this episode hasn't scared too many of you away from this podcast moving forwards. But good news is, be back tomorrow and it'll be November. And I'll see you then.